The following is a presentation from WDEV Radio. Fast-paced. It's like a good two-minute drill. We are just boom, 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 right down the field. Opinionated. If they take the David Price savings and the Mookie Betts savings and pocket the money, it will have been a lie, and the fan base will be furious. To the point. Cam is not that guy. He's not the kind of athlete that works in today's NFL for the most part. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. What's up, everybody? Happy Monday right here. Brady Farkas Show, WDEV AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. As always, if you want to interact with the show, you can reach out to me on Twitter at WDEV Radio Brady. This show is going to be a lot of Patriots. We do have breaking news, though. Angelique Martinez, Local 22, Local 44 News, reporting that UVM men's hockey has paused all team activities following four positive coronavirus test results among the program's Tier 1 personnel. That Tier 1 personnel does include student-athletes, coaches, managers, and support staff. We do not know who's tested positive. We do not know the full impact of what this is. We don't know if it impacts the rest of the athletic department or any more programs, but we do know men's hockey has suspended all team activities. They are scheduled to open up the weekend of December 18th. That is when teams can start again at UVM because of its own self-imposed pause. So we will see what happens there, but we will continue to follow along. As for now, though, we move on. A lot of Patriots talk. ESPN NFL insider Field Yates will stop by at 545. He used to work for the Pats. He is as plugged in as anyone. So, Patriots win it 20-17. to With that, they are now 5-6 and six on the season and still in the fringes of the AFC playoff picture. They didn't get a whole lot of help yesterday. Raiders losing was good. A Baltimore loss whenever they play would be good. But ultimately... You know, eh, the Browns won, Miami won, the Bills won. A lot of bad things happened for the Pats, but they did win. It was ugly, it was imperfect, but at the end of the day, it got the job done, and that is all that you can ask for. And by the way, we predicted the win on Friday. We said the Patriots would win 20-19. to We were nearly dead on in the total number of points scored. We were dead on on the number of points scored by New England. We just thought it would look different. We didn't realize they were going to play this poorly offensively. But all in all, we called the win. We called the 20-point the, the twenty point score for New England. And we knew the defense would be pretty good against what is a generally pretty good offense and a pretty good coaching staff in Arizona. I'm not surprised that the Patriots won. I'm surprised a little bit how they won. I'm surprised at the ineptitude that they showed on offense. But I said a couple of weeks ago, and I'm going to remain true to it now. I will stop trying to make the Patriots look pretty or to play a certain way. They're just not that. There are some teams that are cutesy. There are some teams that are artisty out there. Like the Rams, when they're good, it looks like poetry in motion. When the 49ers are good, it looks like poetry in motion. When the Patriots are playing, nothing's pretty about it. It's it's unpredictable. It can look really, really ugly, but it ended up getting the win yesterday. They didn't deserve to win this game. I mean, 84 yards passing by Cam Newton. They didn't even crack 200 yards of total offense. They turned it over on their first drive. They got down. They committed penalties inside the defensive red zone. But at the end of the day, it didn't matter because it all ended up here on the leg of Nick Folk. Cardona will snap it back. Bailey turns to Cardona. The snap in place. Swing of the right leg. Kick driven to the uprights. The kick is good! Got it! 
second game winner of the season. And the Patriots prevail at the buzzer over Arizona. You know, for all the talk all year about how Cam couldn't get it done late, for the, the failed comeback attempt against Seattle, the failed comeback attempt against Buffalo, the failed comeback attempt against Denver, it was nice to see Cam come up in the clutch. For as poor as he played, it was nice to see him for once this year come up in the clutch. A third and 13 run that gets 15 yards and then subsequently gets tacked on to because of a personal foul penalty, which we'll get into today as well. It was nice to see Cam come up in the clutch. The thing that's so frustrating to me about all of this for the Patriots is this. We've been so spoiled by everything for the last 20 years. We haven't been exposed to this phenomenon of not being able to to play fully complimentary football. When the Patriots are good, and that is always, they generally put together all three phases all the time. This must be what it's like for average teams. They put together one here but not the other two. Two here but not this one. That is what the Patriots did again yesterday. Defense, very good. Special teams, great. Offense, extremely subpar. And it's been trends like that all season long, okay? They In the Kansas City game, same story. Defense was great, especially in the first half. Offense did nothing. Hoyer did him, nothing. The Seattle game, the Houston game, offense very good. Defense couldn't stop anybody. So the good teams, the championship teams, are capable of putting together all three phases on a pretty consistent basis. It's not always going to be perfect for those teams, but generally... They can do enough in all three areas consistently to be good. The Patriots right now just don't have that, and that's what's so frustrating. The inconsistency, the unpredictability. We never know what's going to show up. We never know which unit is going to perform that day. They don't win that game without the defense and special teams because the offense was nothing. Last week, the offense was very good, and they don't, they could have won that game if they got a lick of defense, but it didn't happen. This must be what it's like for average football teams, where you just don't know, hey, one day we're good here, the next day we're good there, and then some days we're not good at anything, and some days we're good at, we're, we're great at everything. This is what it's like to be average, and this is where the Patriots are right now. Some teams can get away with one elite trait. Like Kansas City's offense is so elite that they could get by if everything else was garbage. Seattle's offense has been so elite that they could get by with everything else being garbage. They have gotten by with everything else being garbage. Patriots can't do that. The Patriots cannot do that, and we just don't know. I'm glad they won. It's frustrating they can't put it all together, but they didn't need to yesterday. 20-17 to is the final score. Patriots still on the fringes of the playoff picture. Um, it is the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. We do it every single Monday after the Patriots games. It is time to get to Unpacking the Patriots. Unpacking the Patriots. Number one. All right, number one. Let's get the music going, guys. All right, there we go. Number one, this win was because of the defense and the special teams. The momentum turned in several different points of the game because of those two units, okay? 
The momentum turned on the Dante Moncrief kick return, which set the Pats up at the Cardinals 46. It ultimately led to the first of the two James White touchdowns. I mean, the Patriots ranked near the bottom of the league in starting field position all season. Dante Moncrief comes off the practice squad at kickoff return, and he produces the best return of the season, 53 yards, leads to the touchdown. James White, seven yards out, fourth down. White the single back for the Patriots with Newton in under center. He takes the snap. He's going to pitch it to the right. An option pitch for James White. Gets across the five. He dives to the end zone. Touchdown, Patriots. His first touchdown of the season. It also turned again at the end of the first half when the Pats' defense stuffed the Cardinals. Okay, fourth and goal, last play of the half. Because if Arizona goes up 17-7 and gets the ball first in the second half, that game is over. Okay, if they score and they go up 17-7 and... They get the ball first coming out. That game's over. That play alone helped keep the Patriots in it. It then turned again on special teams. Gunnar Olszewski's punt return that even after the illegal blindside block penalty sets the Pats up in Cardinals territory, allows them to kick a field goal, and then they go get an interception in Cardinals territory. That leads to the James White next touchdown. Pats are able to score again. And it turned one more time. When the Pats stop the Cardinals third down late, it forces the 45-yard kick from Zane Gonzalez, which was mixed, and that gave the Patriots a chance to ultimately have the ball, good field position, come down with an opportunity to win. Defense and special teams, they're the reason the Patriots won this game. Former Pat Ted Johnson after the game, he knows it's true, too. You know what? That's a gutsy uh, game for the Patriots right there. you got to give them a lot of credit because it looked like they were they were going to lose that game. Uh, the, the defense for the Patriots, I thought, came up big in this game. Uh, that goal line stand right before the half uh, to keep them out of the end zone was huge. And then keeping them, uh, you know, making them forcing a field goal there on third and two that did not go in, giving their, chance, their offense a chance. I thought it was a really, really good performance overall. Good performance overall by the Patriots defense. Moving on, unpacking the Patriots number two. Number two. Good for the secondary because they were destroyed last week against Houston. They were awful against the Texans last week. Kyler Murray when targeting Stephon Gilmore and J.C. Jackson on Sunday. So Stephon Gilmore, J.C. Jackson Sunday. Kyler Murray, 5 of 10, 33 yards. 5 of 10, 33 yards. DeAndre Hopkins is the third leading receiver in the NFL, and Gilmore shut him down. Christian Kirk is a very highly regarded young receiver. J.C. Jackson was able to shut him down. Big-time bounce-back performance from the Pats' secondary. Jonathan Jones, who got picked on last week. Remember Deshaun Watson was 8 of 10 when targeting uh, Jonathan Jones? We did not hear anything about Jones. Cardinals were not able to exploit the same matchup. Good for the Pats' coaches for hiding Jones if they needed to. Good for Gilmore and Jackson for being good enough. Good for the front four getting some semblance of pressure on Kyler Murray, making it tough, tipping passes. A fully all-encompassing defensive performance in a lot of ways for New England, but kudos to the back end who was so torched last week. Number three. Number three, the Patriots like each other, and, you know, that matters in a couple of different ways. I understand moral victories don't usually matter, and we continue to talk about whether they do or don't in this season of 2020. It's not that the Patriots didn't like Brady. But I do think there's a nice change of pace with Cam Newton. Not everything this year is life or death. There's a patience with Cam that certainly isn't there with Brady. And the reason is because Cam is learning everything as he goes, too. He can't be as demanding as Brady. Brady had a doctorate 
in the Patriots offense. Cam is just trying to get his diploma. He can't be as grueling and as grading on his teammates because he doesn't know. And generally, great athletes won't demand things of their teammates when they don't have full control of it themselves. Cam doesn't have full control of the offense yet. And I think there is somewhat of a sense of relief and a little bit of a sense of pressure taken off of teammates between having Cam there and what it was like or would be like having Brady there. You see it, by the way, in how they react to Cam Newton after wins. You hear after the game when players like Nick Folk say things like this. And I, it's really fun to be around the guys. Uh, I've been played around a lot of great teammates. Uh, this group is up there with the best of them. Um, they're a lot of fun. So, And then just to see the effort that they put in every day, Monday through through the game to get ready for the game and then play the game and uh, that I get to, uh, you know, make it all worth it for them is, is more fun than anything for me. Folk says we're playing hard for each other. We're working for each other. He's a veteran in this league a long time. He knows what good locker rooms are like. He knows what bad locker rooms are like. And he tells you this team is still invested. Even though they're five and six, they are playing for each other. And you don't always get that with teams. Albert Breer, NBC Sports Boston, Monday morning quarterback, he sees it too. They play with some heart, you know, I, and I think you can see that the team's still locked into what Bill's selling them, um, and there are definitely talent deficiencies in several spots on the roster, and it's not just on offense. Um, you know, but as I think as a, as, a, as a group right now, you see a team that's, that's actually still locked in and playing well. That speaks well of the program. That's not something I could say after the 49ers lost that game. They looked like they've given up, but kudos to the leaders of the team for rallying, still trying to build. That's important. It does reflect well on Bill Belichick, and a win reflects well on everybody and the Patriots and their fans happy for one more week to be in that playoff conversation. Overall impressions, mine are in the books. What say the experts? Field Yates, ESPN NFL insider. He's going to join us next. He knows the Patriots better than anybody. He stops by the Brady Farkas Show, which is brought to you by the all-new Preston's Kia in Montpelier, home of lifetime oil changes and state inspections. Preston's Kia, family-owned and operated, and they will do whatever it takes to earn and keep your business. Field Yates of ESPN. That's next right here on WDEV. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back. It's the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Patriots with a 20-17 to win over the Cardinals, helping us break it all down. One of the best ESPN NFL insider, former Patriots staffer, our buddy Field Yates. Field, first time having you on the new show, so welcome. I appreciate you having me on, Brady. Congratulations to you. I'm sure this will be one that many will be wanting to tune into uh, as frequently as possible for the best and latest insight on all things sports. <laughs> Well, thank you, Field. I appreciate that. Um, Patriots with a 20-17 to 17 win yesterday. I guess the best adjective I have for them is spunky. What's your overall read on this team? Yeah, they're one of those teams that the margin for error is pretty slim, Brady. And what that means is that any game they can stay in or be out of, right? So basically every game they've played this year, with a couple of exceptions, the 49ers game and the closing quarter of the Chiefs game, they've largely been in every single one. They're now five and six, but if things go their way a little bit differently in the Bills game, in the Broncos game, uh, even in the Texans game back in week 11, this team could be eight and three. Now they could also be three and eight, right? So I think what this Patriots team is showing us is that 
First of all, they remain incredibly well coached. It's a team that's got some talent gaps. There's no two ways about that, but they've got some competitiveness to them. They've certainly got some grit to them. So uh, I sort of figure that when the season's over, they'll hover around eight and eight with a few favorable bounces. They could be nine and seven. With a few less favorable bounces, they could be seven and nine. You know, I think I agree with you largely. I don't think they're going to win out, but they are on the fringe of the playoff conversation. I think the thing that's most frustrating to me is something that we're just not used to in New England, the lack of, quote, complementary football. Like, they just don't put all three phases together very often in the same game. Is this what you see with generally average teams? Because we're not used to watching generally average teams. Yeah, and I would say that Sunday was maybe a glimmer of hope for that complementary football, if you think about it, right? So they have a special team score that was called back on obviously a very flimsy call, even if by the letter of the law, what Anthony Jennings did on Gunnar Olszewski's punt return for a touchdown was illegal. Sort of feel like common sense suggests that should not be a penalty in the NFL. They also got a 53-yard kickoff return from Dante Moncrief, an area they'd pretty much struggled in throughout the season. They got a turnover from Adrian Phillips on an interception. And I thought they did a pretty good job for the most part in terms of capitalizing on some of the Cardinals' errors. Uh, But you're right. They just need to kick it into other gear on offense. And the question, Brady, and the interesting part is that back in week two, it looked like the Patriots had a chance to be a pretty reasonable passing offense. That was the night in which Cam Newton threw for nearly 400 yards a lot of those same players are still here for the Patriots, right? It's not like they've totally overhauled everything. Ryan Izzo still their starting tight end. and Julian Edelman's been on IR, obviously. But a lot of the same players in that game are still contributing for them. So uh, it's not often you find a spark plug on offense in Week 13. But the Patriots are very resourceful. And if they can find a couple of spark plugs on offense, then maybe they can grind out three or four wins in their last five games here. I'm going to get to Cam in the future talk in a second, but the penalties were a big story of yesterday. The the blindside block on Jennings. What would you think of the personal foul hit on Cam that helped set up the game-winning field goal? You know, first of all, Brady, I'll just say this. And it's important to note that the Patriots did not win that game simply because of that penalty on that drive. The Patriots did pick up a first down. Cam Newton got past the first down marker. It just propelled them 15 yards. So obviously that's a huge benefit in making that field goal a little bit easier. What I would say is that it's the NFL and hits on quarterbacks are so frequently going to land in the favor of the quarterback that we should just get used to this, right? I mean, Patriots fans especially know because, you know, Tom Brady in his 2008 injury, the ACL tear on the opening quarter of that season, that's the reason why the NFL, one of the reasons why the NFL altered its rules in terms of the strike zone that was legal for quarterbacks. Um, I didn't think it was that egregious one way or the other. Like, I thought the call was actually, like, in the last 10 times that I've seen a hit comparable to Isaiah Simmons' hit on Cam Newton, I would think at least 50%, probably more of them, were called as penalties by defenders. It's really hard to play defense in the NFL. That's one of the big takeaways uh, from those penalties yesterday. Field Yates, ESPN NFL insider, used to work for the Patriots here with us on the Brady Farkas Show, WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. Look, let's put I, – I think we all agree the Patriots probably need to draft a quarterback. The question is, are they going to have a stopgap guy play next year? I saw Albert Breer suggest that Cam would be worth $20 million next year because that's what quarterbacks get paid. Yeah. At $20 million, could you see bringing Cam back or – can I get Tyrod Taylor for nine? Can I get Ryan Fitzpatrick for 12? Is there a better yeah. value play out there? 
And I don't really think there is a better value play, Brady, for a few reasons. Is that so? First of all, let's say it's a. I'm just going to make this up. Just hear me out for a second. Two years, forty million dollars for Cam Newton, and it comes with twenty-five million guaranteed. Let's say that that's a twenty million dollars signing bonus. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then a $5 million guaranteed base salary. That would mean that Cam Newton would have a first year cap hit of $15 million and a second year cap hit when we expect the cap to rise again at $25 million. But really, it's a one year proposition for the Patriots. If Cam makes dramatic improvements next year and the offense, and by the way, Cam making dramatic improvements would be a byproduct of you know, the Patriots having better skill players around him as well. Um, I think it's actually a reasonable move. Uh, And I will say this, Brady, is that it's not perfect with Cam. It's far from perfect right now. But there's a lot to be said for leadership, poise, growth, development, character. Cam Newton has been, and I know the Patriots, maybe their their feeling this year is eight or nine wins. But I sort of shudder to think what they would look like without Cam Newton this season. We got got a glimpse of it, right, against the Chiefs, and they were just a complete disaster on offense. But – what do you think they are with Ryan Hoyer as a star this year? Three and 13? I, mean, I don't know. I don't know the answer specifically. I just will say that I feel like Cam has actually brought more good than I think the narrative is suggesting right now. He has, I think there's actually reasonable room for hope going forward. I'll get you out of here on two questions. Um, I'm generally pretty optimistic about things when it comes to the Patriots, and I've given him a lot of leash, but I'm now starting to think that Nikhil Harry is not a problem, but an issue. Like, I see so many young wide receivers making impacts and dropped passes, penalties he's committing. He can't stay healthy, which isn't really his fault. Maybe it's unfair to label it that way, but he's just not doing much in the second year in this offense. Yeah, it's been a tough go of it for Nikhil Harry, and there have been some good things on occasion, but pretty infrequently, right? Not nearly as much as you like out of a first-round pick. You know, I don't know if the light switch eventually flips for him, Brady, but I think the most important thing that people will have to do within the Patriots organization is distance themselves from the fact he was a first-round pick. I don't mean to ignore the fact that you use a first-round pick on him, but like you can't jam a guy uh, into a role just because he was a first-round pick, right? The Patriots are really good about not doing that, but um, you know, if he's not good enough to play, don't play him just because you used the thirty-second pick in the draft on him a year ago. Um, there were, it's funny because I actually saw some promising signs as a rookie. He had a catch in the rain against the Cowboys. He had that touchdown that should have been a touchdown against the Chiefs. There were some splash plays last year from Nikhil Harry. Hasn't come around this season. Um, but you know what, Brady? This is very much the exception and not the rule. But the last weekend, or last weekend, the Broncos gave Garrett Bowles a four-year million extension. He's their left tackle. He had at one point led the NFL in holding calls at least one year, and I think maybe even back-to-back-to-back years. Think about that. He had his fifth-year option declined. There was no future for him. He's now making $17 million a season beginning next year. So what I'm saying is that it's easy for us on the outside to just push a guy off and just say, hey, you know what? whatever, like recycle him, move on to somebody else. You know, the Patriots are committed to him for at least another year and probably two. Like, it's their job to see if they can get anything out of Nikhil Harry. 
Field last question. Patriots getting ready for the Chargers. We know about Justin Herbert. What else should we know about this team as we already look forward to next week and the Pats trying to get to 500? Yeah, they've got three megastars on offense and at least one on defense. Three megastars on offense are Justin Herbert, Keenan Allen, and Austin Eckler. Austin Eckler, remarkable pass catching back with 16 targets and it was a turn from action in week 12. Keenan Allen, one of the best wide receivers in football. I'm not going to sit here and uh, sort of legislate who is the best, second best, third best, whatever. You can organize your top five or eight however you want. Keenan Allen's going to be a part of that top five to eight. And then on defense, Joey Bolts is a play wrecker. He was basically unstoppable against the Bills in week 12, consistently generates pressure. He's the highest paid defensive player in league history for a reason. Injuries have really mounted for this Chargers team on defense. The Patriots might, might have an opportunity to get their passing game, maybe not totally corrected, but at least build some momentum in their L.A. swing, which starts on Sunday afternoon, 425 Eastern time against the Chargers. Field Yates, ESPN NFL insider, is plugged in as anybody on the Patriots beat, used to work for the Patriots field. We appreciate the time, as always. Look forward to uh, having you back on the show again soon. Brady, I appreciate you. Continue success with the new show, and let's stay in touch. Yeah, we will absolutely do that. Thank you, Field Yates, ESPN NFL insider. Certainly is one of the best and always accommodating with his time and now love bringing him onto this show. He and I have talked and met a bunch of times before, but uh, first time on this show, so always happy to have Field. So if you missed any of that interview, by the way, it'll be on our Brady Farkas Show podcast page after the show ends, so the staff is already working to get that cut up so we can do our takeaways. They'll put that up as well. Interesting stuff there about cam and valuation as far as money goes. I mean, when I heard Albert Breer say two years, $40 million, 20 a year and field now echoes that I'm like, look, I love cam. I think he's been a breath of fresh air. I think he has been great in a lot of ways, but he hasn't been $20 million a year. Great. As far as I'm concerned. So we're certainly going to talk about that. Guys, I'm not even going to put that in my takeaways for today. That's so rich. We're going to have to put that maybe tomorrow as its own segment. But a lot of things there to get to with Field. When we come back, before we get to our Field Yates takeaways, maybe the biggest play of the game yesterday was the Patriots stopping the Cardinals on that fourth and goal right before the end of the half. Was it the right decision by Arizona to go for it at all. How did that impact how things played out? We'll talk about that. That's all next here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Human Services and CDC. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. All right, everybody, welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show here on a Monday, WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. If you ever miss any of the show or any of our exclusive interviews, you can find them by subscribing to the Brady Farkas Show podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or WDEVradio.com. Our full Field Yates interview is already up. The staff did a great job with that during the course of the commercial break. And I also had an opportunity earlier today to, ch- to uh, chat with Ed Smith, former NFL tight end, played with the Lions, the Falcons and the Eagles. He's been an Arizona radio host for a while now, and he's the host of the Believe in Cardinals podcast. We spoke extensively about the game, and one of the biggest things that we talked about, and we'll get to our Field Yates takeaways here in a couple of minutes, but the decision of the Cardinals to go for it. Fourth and goal, the last play of the first half. A couple of different scenarios were at play, right? Cardinals were up 10-7 at that point. If they score the touchdown, they go up 17-7, 
They get the ball first to start the second half. That game's over. If they score a touchdown there, the game is over. Make no mistake about it with how bad the Patriots were offensively. If the Cardinals punch it in the end zone, it's over. If they don't get it, like what happened, they're still up 10-7. They still have the chance to go up 17-7 because they get the ball first, and then the game would be over. Or if they kick it, they go up 13-7, but it's still a one-possession game. I was fine with the Cardinals going for it. I liked the call. I would have gone for it too. You think you can win the game right there. Demoralize your opponent. You can win the game there. Get up double digits 17-7 and get the ball first. That, that that That's game over. And in an NFL league now where it's offense first, offense first, offense first, if you can score, you have an opportunity to score and to put a game away early. You have to do it. And by the way, the Cardinals' offense is their best unit, and it's not even close. So you put the ball in their hands and try to end the game. The question is, did they run the right play there? Fourth and goal, they hand it off, run right up the gut, and are stopped. Did they run the right play? Ed Smith, former NFL tight end, he told me he doesn't think so. I agree with it if you come in, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty vision, but I agree with it if you come with a more exotic play, something that, you know, that, that play they ran was so generic, and then, you know, you missed that opportunity to put points on the board, and then you end up losing by just a couple points. That could have been a difference in the game. So Ed Smith says, no, he wanted to see it to something more creative, something more exotic. I disagree. I disagree there, and Ed Smith's played a lot more football than me, but I disagree, and here's why. The Arizona Cardinals are an up-and-coming team. They're trying to become a playoff team in the NFC. If you want to be a playoff team and win playoff games and go on the road to places they would have to go, Seattle, Green Bay, you have got to be able to, in January, line up in a jumbo package on third or fourth and short and run the football. You have got to be able to have that kind of toughness, to have that kind of mentality. Good teams can do that. The Patriots coming into yesterday were 21st in the league against the run. If you want to be a playoff team, if the Arizona Cardinals want to prove they're contenders and not pretenders, then they need to be able to line up on fourth and short against a defense that isn't very good at stopping the run, and they need to be able to get six inches. They need to be able to get six inches with a power formation, and they need to prove that they can be tough enough to do it. Because if they want to play in January, they've got to be able to execute in January-type situations. And running speed options or running the option with Kyler Murray or running some kind of cute play, that's not that because that won't work in January. That works in September. That doesn't work in January. I applaud what Cliff Kingsbury did in going for it, and I applaud the pl- applaud the play call, challenging his football team to get six inches on the road against a team that's not very good at stopping the run, and they couldn't do it. The Cardinals, I said at the beginning of the year, I thought they would be a scary team. They were 6-3. and three. Lost to Seattle, good team on the road. Lost to New England, average team on the road. Maybe they're not the scary team that I thought. They have scary elements. Kyler Murray is a scary element. DeAndre Hopkins is a scary weapon. Buda Baker's great on defense, special. There's a lot of special individual qualities. I'm not sure anymore the Cardinals are a special team. Okay, There's going to come a time 
where Kyler Murray's athleticism can't just bail you out. And by the way, if they had tried something cute and failed, we would have crushed him for it. Just like Ed Smith's crushing him now, we would have crushed him if they tried something cute. There is an element of me that understands you want the ball in your best player's hands. But when your best player's 5'10 and nursing a bum shoulder, I need to be able to count on one of my two running backs, Kenyon Drake or Chase Edmonds, and my offensive lineman to push the the pile forward and get six inches. I just have to. When my quarterback is 5'10 with a bum shoulder, I need to be able to hand it off and get six inches. There's just no way around that. Good teams, great teams, championship teams can figure out how to get those six inches. The Patriots are average. Cam would have gone over the top. That's their best play. They would have lined up in a power formation, and Cam would have jumped over the pile. But Cam would have had the ball. Brady would have snuck it in. Kyler Murray is not that kind of player. He's He's not big enough to sneak. He's not tall enough to jump over the line. They needed to be able to hand it off and get it in the end zone. The question really is now, are they, you know... The question, can an offense that's so cute most of the time, can it be physical when it needs to? It's the question about Green Bay. It's the question about the Rams. And it exists for Arizona now, too. I like that they went for it. I like that Cliff Kingsbury went with the power run. I think he was sending a message to his team. And they responded negatively. They failed. But if you want to be a tough team, you can be all the bells and whistles you want. September through early November. When we get to late November, December, January, you got to be able to line up and play some semblance of power football and some semblance of physicality. The last two weeks, they were bullied by Seattle. They were bullied yesterday in a lot of ways by the Patriots. Even though they could have won, they were still bullied in a lot of ways. And the Patriots were able to win that battle at the line of scrimmage. And the Cardinals needed to be able to win it, and they didn't. Brady Farkas Show, WDEV AM and FM, WDEV Radio. All right, we just spoke with ESPN NFL insider Field Yates. The staff has done a great job, as always, getting our takeaways ready. So we talked with Field about a couple of controversial penalties in this game and a lot of people on social media going off on all sides about both of these calls. Let's start with the first one. Guys, the Anthony Jennings illegal blindside block call. So Gunnar Olszewski takes a punt roughly 60 yards to the house, roughly 60 yards to the house, and Anthony Jennings gets called for an illegal blindside block. Here's Fields' take on that. Even if by the letter of the law, what Anthony Jennings did on Gunnar Olszewski's punt return for a touchdown was illegal, sort of feel like common sense suggests that should not be a penalty. Okay, I disagree. I love Field. I love Ed Smith. I disagree with both of them. The rule book clearly states you cannot make a block going back towards your own end zone. So Gunnar Olszewski is past everybody. The, the, the defender, in this case, is running at him at a slant. Jennings is kind of near Olszewski, stops, waits for the defender to come back towards him, and then Jennings launches at him. And he launches at him going completely back towards the direction which Olszewski came from. That's illegal. That is illegal. I I knew the flag was coming before the play was over. I knew it was coming. 
People are going crazy. On this station, Scott Zolak, the broadcaster, screaming, no, no, no. I'm like, Zo, I knew it was coming. It was one of the most obvious calls I've seen this season. You can't do anything on a punt. Punts, I feel like, always have flags. Block in the back, blindside block, holding. Like, everything is a foul when it comes to a punt return. Everything is a foul. I knew this flag was coming out. And the people who, I got I got my buddy from college texting me about what an awful call it is. He went off on me for an entire quarter. I'm like, buddy, you're wrong. It was as obvious a call as there is. Jennings stops, waits for the defender to get there, and then launch, lowers his shoulder at him. That is an illegal blindside block going back towards your own end zone. I, I don't even need a rule book to see that. I mean, he lowered his shoulder. And not only was it illegal, it was unnecessary. It was an unnecessary block. So for a couple reasons. One, Olszewski probably scores without it. Like, I'm watching the highlight, and I I feel like the Jennings play, it cost him a touchdown because Olszewski is about three yards ahead of the defender. I really don't think he's going to get caught because it was like the 14-yard line or something like that. I think Olszewski's going to the house anyways. He doesn't need the block. I understand you want to hit somebody, but come on, man. Use common sense. These players know the rules better than we do. They have been instructed not to do things like that, and Jennings did it anyways. It was a stupid penalty. It was a stupid thing to do. It probably cost the Patriots a touchdown. Then, even if, let's just say Jennings gets out of the way entirely and Olszewski gets caught, let's just say I'm wrong, he does get caught. Well, he gets tackled at the 12, at the 9, and the Patriots are there inside the red zone. Instead, he lays the penalty... Lays the hit, gets the penalty, and the Patriots are back at the 45. Like, it costs them 30 yards of field position. If Jennings just does nothing and lets the defender try to catch him, and he does, which I don't think he would have, it's a 30 yards of field position difference. Unnecessary play by Anthony Jennings. I can kind of appreciate the hustle that you're a rookie, you want to make an impact, but you made a negative impact. So I got people saying to me on social media, Brady, what's he supposed to do then? Look, stand there like a scarecrow with your hands straight up and just act as a somewhat of a millisecond-long distraction to spring Gunner a millisecond more. I don't care what you do, but don't do that. When you stop, lower the shoulder, and launch into the guy's chest, and he goes flying back towards his own, that's a blindside block. That's illegal, and it was unnecessary. He scores the touchdown without you doing it. And even if he doesn't, it's 30 yards of field position more. Brady Farkas show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. The players know how sensitive the rule is. Okay, I had zero problem with the call. If you don't like the rule, then that's fine. But the rule is the rule. If you think football's too soft or you thought that it was weak or you think that, that – we're policing the game too closely. That's a debate you can have. But the rule is the rule. And I don't see anybody complaining when their quarterback gets touched by a pinky and gets given 15 yards. I don't see anybody complaining about that. That's that's the rule. You don't you don't hate it when it benefits you. This one cost the Patriots a touchdown and it was the right call. The other thing 
or the other big call in this game was the personal foul on Cam Newton. So third and 13, 50-ish seconds to play. Third and 13, Cam rolls, and I think it was a draw, you know, a, a read option. He keeps it. He runs left. He gets 15 yards, and Isaiah Simmons blows him up on the sideline. Well, I asked Field Yates about that play. What did he think of that call? It's the NFL, and hits on quarterbacks are so frequently going to land in the favor of the quarterback that we should just get used to this. So Field says, hey, basically, this is what the NFL is. If you don't like it, fine. It's more ticky-tack, or it's more controversial, but ultimately I'm not surprised. I'll say this. This call was far more controversial for me. It looked bad. Cam went flying also. It looked bad. But ultimately, I don't think that this was a foul. It was also a stupid and unnecessary hit by Isaiah Simmons. You could flag the guy for stupidity more than flagging him for something illegal in terms of of a football play. Cam was still in the field of play, so it's not illegal there. It wasn't a late hit. He also didn't get hit in the head. There was was no crown of the helmet, no lowering of the head. Cam didn't get hit in the head. Cam is outside the pocket. He is on the sideline. He is a runner there. He is not afforded the ticky-tack quarterback protections in that situation. So it wasn't late, and it wasn't high. It was loud. It was hard, but ultimately I thought it was clean. I disagreed with the call. But for Isaiah Simmons, who's a rookie, you've got to understand that that too was an unnecessary play to make. I mean, seriously, Cam is running out of bounds. He wants to get out of bounds. He wants to stop the clock. He's slowing up. You also know the protection that's given to quarterbacks. Let him go out. Let him go out. But that 15 yards, it didn't cause, like, the 15-yard penalty puts him like, the 35-yard line. Two plays later, three plays later, Patriots win the game on a field goal. It didn't cost them the game, but those 15 yards were humongous in getting the Patriots into better field goal or getting them into field goal range to a point where they could go and win the game. And on that point, I bring up Fields' last takeaway, my last takeaway from Field. You know, first of all, Brady, I'll just say this, that it's important to note that the Patriots did not win that game simply because of that penalty on that drive. The Patriots did pick up a first down. Cam Newton got past the first down marker. It just propelled them 15 yards. So obviously that's a huge benefit in making that field goal a little bit easier. So Field says, yes, we we all acknowledge the 15 yards help. But this is a PSA to fans. I have a few rules, and I acknowledge this. It's a flaw of me. I am the fan police, and if there are people out there that don't like me or haven't heard thing, you know, or haven't liked things I've said, there's a good chance that it comes from me trying to police how fans be fans. I, I acknowledge I have an issue. I want fans to be fans in the same way that I am a fan, and I live by certain rules. Almost never does a referee's call cost a team a game almost never so I hate when fans incessantly complain that they were hosed that they were screwed that the game is fixed I hate all of that because they're all unnecessary excuses and they're just ridiculous so 
the Cardinals players allegedly told the ref, you cost us the game. No, they didn't. No, they didn't. Not at all. Okay? Almost never does one singular call decide a game. There were 59 minutes and like 10 seconds before that play. 59 minutes that saw you miss a field goal, turn it over on downs, throw an interception deep in your own end, saw you commit six penalties, saw you fail to convert two Patriots turnovers into a more sizable league, in sizable lead. A call by an official is generally just one piece of a much, much bigger puzzle. That call did not help the Cardinals. They ultimately had a couple of other plays where they could have made negative plays and forced the Patriots into a 57-yard field goal instead of a 50-yard field goal or a 52-yard field goal instead of a 50-yard field goal. They still had chances after that call to do something about it. They turned it over. They turned it over on downs. They didn't play good enough defense when they needed to. The hit by Simmons, although I think it was the wrong call, was so unnecessary that you deserved the flag just for the stupidity of the whole thing. One call never decides a game. So, huge fan faux pas of mine. And I apologize. I wear it. I'm Brady Farkas, and I have a problem with fans who are different kinds of fans than me. If you are blame the ref guy, if you are Goodell's, Goodell's out to get us guy, if you are so-and-so has been paid off to, to screw us here, I, I have no time for you. I can't handle that. If you're a Cardinals player and you think the ref screwed you out of this game, look no further than you couldn't line up for six inches on fourth and goal at the end of the first half. Look no further than you throwing an interception at your own 30-yard line and allowing the Patriots to go and score that way. Look no further than that. Look no further than you missed a 45-yard a 45-yard field goal a minute and a half prior to that. Like Those things cost you the game more than one questionable personal foul call. Brady Farkas show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. All right, every Friday I give you my Friday locks. Monday we come and do the grading. How did I do? Every Friday, Brady gives you his locks for the weekend. Is he moving to the high rent district or is he headed to the outhouse? We look at the locks now on the Brady Farkas show on WDEV, AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. All right, I was good again this week, 2-1 and one for the second consecutive week. I'm rolling now. I said, number one, the Patriots would cover the two-and-a-half-point spread. We told you they would win outright, and they did, so they covered and they won. I wish I had put real money on that. We said the Patriots would win 20-17. to 17. They won 20-19, to 19, but they do get the win. And for what it's worth, Eric Eager, Pro Football Focus on Friday, he also told us the Patriots were going to cover. Number two, I said Sony Michelle would have fewer than 35 yards rushing in his return to the Patriots lineup. He had zero carries. Zero, this is even more dire for Sony Michelle than I thought. I didn't even see him on the field at all, nevertheless, get a carry. He may not be on the roster next year. I've kind of grandfathered him into the roster for next season. I'm no longer convinced of that. It's amazing what's happened to him because two years ago, they win the Super Bowl against the Rams on his back in some way. He carries them through that playoff game against the Chargers. He's part of it against the Chiefs. He's part of it against the Rams. And they ran the ball a ton in that sixth Super Bowl championship run. 
and Michelle was a driving force there. And now we can't even get on the field. I mean, James White is the short yardage back, evidently. Like, James White was getting the ball in short yardage, and Sonny Michelle can't get on the field. That is um, that is alarming. That is alarming. In a, in a pass-first league, you don't – as much as I like running backs, in a pass-first league, you don't always need four of them. You don't always need five of them. I have generally liked this, but – if the Patriots are going to have three or four running backs, they don't need one that's going to be unproductive. And right now, Sony Michelle is unproductive. Last one was the one we got wrong. I said the Jags and Browns would go under the posted total of 46. Didn't happen. That game was a good game. It was entertaining. It was like 53 or something, like 52, 27-25, I think, was the final. Mike Glennon actually looked pretty good for Jacksonville at quarterback. Browns have assured themselves a non-losing season for the first time. Since 2007. Back in 2007, I love things like this. Last time the Browns didn't have a losing season. Keeping up with the Kardashians was in its first year on TV. Barry Bonds was playing his final year of Major League Baseball, had 28 home runs. And LeBron had reached the NBA Finals for the first time. He's now got four championships. Like, that's how long it's been since the Browns had a non-losing season. But they are 8-3. and three. Tough game with Tennessee next week, who just blitzed them last year on opening day. But the uh, the Browns, 8-3. and three. When we come back, something else Fields said to us that was really interesting. Is Cam Newton holding back or lifting up the Patriots? That's coming up next. Then Daily Dose of Doug here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back, Brady Farkas Show, WDEV AM, FM, WDEVradio.com. Breaking down a lot of Patriots news and notes today from the Patriots win over the Cardinals. Bob Sosi, voice of the Patriots, will join us tomorrow at 545. But tomorrow we'll also have a lot on the Vermont Lake Monster situation. I've got some inclination now as to what's going to happen for the Lake Monster. So, we will talk about that tomorrow as well. But continuing on with the Patriots talk here, and you can always get in on Twitter at WDEV Radio Brady. Field Yates of ESPN was with us a little while ago, and he said something that I don't have the audio of in front of me, but it stuck with me like this. He says, for as much grief as Cam has gotten this year, he kind of shudders to think, what the Patriots would be with on him, a second-year guy, fourth-round pick, to really take and keep control of the huddle, especially a huddle with a lot of veteran players. Could I really count on that? The offensive line's been decimated. Could he overcome that? They've missed Isaiah Wynn and Shaq Mason and David Ann. I mean, they've had guys out and on injured reserve. Could he overcome that? Julian Edelman's been out on injured reserve. Sony Michelle was on injured reserve. James White missed a game for personal reasons, personal tragedy. He was out. Rex Burkhead's on injured reserve. Nikhil Harry has not played and done nothing when he has played. Could Jarrett Stidham overcome that and keep control of this whole thing? I don't think so. I don't think so. If the team thought that he could do those things, he'd probably be playing. But he he can't. So Stidham's ball looks better. He probably looks like a more effortless thrower of the football. But again, no real threat in the pass game because there's no weapons out there. Open season on the running backs because Stidham's not a runner. Cam at least brings some different things to the party here. 
His leadership, okay, his veteran presence helps the younger guys. The younger guys look at Cam Newton as still a superstar. Whether they should or shouldn't, he elicits that kind of response from the younger players. They look up to him. Okay, Jacoby Myers looks up to Cam Newton. And you'll play for a guy that you look up to, for a guy that's a bit of a hero to you. Cam carries that clout. For the veterans in that locker room, Cam is at least seen as a true peer that's on their level. They'll play hard for that guy. Harder to play, if you're a veteran, harder to play hard for a guy who's in his second year who we know nothing about in Stidham. Harder to play for that guy. But if you're Cam, you're going to play for this guy who you're trying to help him save his career, former MVP. You're going to help that guy try to resurrect his career. You want to be a part of that. You're going to play hard for him. Cam's got guys playing hard. I think they genuinely like him. They genuinely respect him. They genuinely appreciate him. Young guys look up to him. They'll play hard. Veterans look at him as a peer who's done a lot in this league, who they respect, and who they want to help. I'm sure there's a quarterback out there that would have made the Patriots a better football team. But I know that that quarterback is not on the roster right now. Stidham and Hoyer, the team would not be better then. Not be better than with Cam. They're 5-6. and six. They could be 8-3. and three. They'd be much worse without Cam Newton playing. If Stidham or Hoyer is playing, they're worse. I'm with Field Yates on that. The team, there's something to be said for his leadership. Um, I think it's actually a reasonable move. Uh, and I will say this, Brady, is that it's not perfect with Cam. It's far from perfect right now. But there's a lot to be said for leadership, poise, growth, development, character. Cam Newton has been, and I know the Patriots, maybe their their ceiling this year is eight or nine wins. But I sort of shudder to think what they would look like without Cam Newton this season. I think he's right. I think he's right. This team would be worse. They'd be worse personnel-wise with Stidham and Hoyer. They'd be worth in ter- worse in terms of their respect in the locker room. And how guys rally, they rally around Cam and say all you want about how he's not playing great or he hasn't played great. There is something to be said for that. All right, let's get to Daily Dose of Doug. We do it every single day. I do a podcast with former Pats quarterback Doug Flutie. Let's hear what Doug's got to say. So Brady does a podcast with former Patriots quarterback Doug Flutie. Doug is a lot more famous than Brady. Flutie flushed, throws it down, caught by Boston College. I don't believe it. Doug is a lot smarter than Brady. So much in football is the guys surrounding you. Your success is dependent on the guys on the field and that team. So let's listen to Doug. It's your daily dose of Doug on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. All right, daily dose of Doug. Flutie and I talk twice a week. We were texting yesterday during the Patriots game. He and I do the podcast together, the Believe in Patriots podcast. This was something that was lost on me. We've done the whole show for more than an hour, and I haven't brought this point up once, but it's something that Flutie and I talked about last week. The Cardinals had extra time to prepare for this game. Remember, they played on Thursday night football in week 11 against Seattle. They were given four days more of preparation. Well, like three days. Friday, Saturday, Sunday. They were given three extra days of recovery, recuperation, and preparation, and they still came out and lost. I asked Flutie last week what the extra days off would do as you prepare. Biggest asset is the extra days off health-wise. A couple of guys with ankle sprains. A couple of guys that are just beat up so far this season that get a few extra days. Steve Grogan said this to me. He said, 
as you got older in your career, you weren't, you were sore longer throughout the week. And eventually towards the end of your career, you're just sore from the beginning of the season to the end of the season and you'll never get over. So he says that those extra days would have helped you in terms of preparation, but also in recovery. That that's, that is more damning than I've given it credit for. Like it needed to have been said by me prior to an hour into the show, Cliff Kingsbury and his staff had an extra three days to get healthy, to get Kyler Murray right and to prepare. And they got to watch another Patriots game in real time. They got a chance to watch that Patriots game against Houston, see what Houston did. Houston's offense can look a lot like Arizona's offense, running quarterback, mobile quarterback, big play wide receivers, generally productive running backs. A lot of what Arizona does, Houston can also do. And Houston shredded the Patriots. And the Cardinals got a couple of extra days to watch it in real time. It's absurd that they weren't able to look better on offense than that. Credit the Patriots' defense, but the coaching gap there, I guess, between Belichick, who had seven days, six days after, you know, Monday to Sunday, six days, and Kingsbury, who had nine days, is evidently big. Because if you had extra time to recover and game plan and watch the Patriots play live, you absolutely could have found better things to do and mimic what Houston did. Because what Houston did just torched the Patriots, and the Cardinals should have had the ability to do close to the same thing in a lot of different ways. All right, that's Daily Dose of Doug. He and I are going to tape a couple of more podcasts this week, so we'll have a bunch of new content from Flutie coming. Now we do it every day, crazy Twitter takes. This one's always fun after a Patriots game. The Internet, it's a really weird place. Where'd you hear that? The Internet. And you believed it? Yeah. They can't put anything on the Internet that isn't true. Where'd you hear that? The The Internet. Internet. It's time for crazy Twitter takes on the Brady Farkas show right here on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Doesn't anyone notice this? I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. All right, Tommy Kern, NBC Sports Boston insider for the Patriots, he wrote a column saying it's hard to find silver linings in this Patriots win. Basically because Cam didn't play well and just nothing they won but there was nothing that really stood out I disagree I think that's absolutely wrong I think it's unequivocally wrong the silver lining is simply that they're still playing hard for Bill Belichick and why I say that is because I certainly have wondered all along if the young guys would play hard for Belichick because Brady's not there I thought Brady Brady being a veteran player him buying into Belichick If he bought in, everybody else had to. But with Brady not there, I wondered, okay, are the young guys going to look at this like, all right, this guy is old, he's out of touch, he doesn't relate to me. Like Brady was the perfect go-between, I thought, for Belichick's method. The fact that they're playing hard still shows me a couple things. One, Belichick is still capable of getting through to the players. And two, Cam is still a good filter of Cam buying into Belichick is a good filter for what the Patriots do. And I think him buying in with those players that like him and feed off of him, you've got to be encouraged. Because as Belichick pushes towards 70, you always wonder, how's he going to relate to a 21-year-old, a 24-year-old? Well, he's got the right veteran leaders that are filtering his message down. And we knew it was going to be important. Matthew Slater, the McCordys, Stephon Gilmore. Cam Newton. It's still working. 
And that's imp- that's a silver lining in and of itself because the Patriots could have folded several times this year. But the fact that here they are still in the conversation when really they have no business being in the conversation, it speaks well of Belichick and the veteran leaders on that team. And Albert Breer, NBC Sports Boston, Pat's insider, he knows that too. They play with some heart, you know, I, and I think you can see that the team's still locked into what Bill's selling them. Um, and there are definitely talent deficiencies in several spots on the roster. And it's not just on offense, um, you know, but as I think as a, as, as a group right now, you see a team that's, that's actually still locked in and playing well. That speaks well of the program. Speaks well of the program. And I think that is really, really important. I think there's a good takeaway from that game. So when Tom Curran says there's no silver lining, I think Tom Curran is wrong. There is a silver lining. It might not be the silver lining that you want, right? Like we'd love to have a concrete answer on Cam or a concrete answer on this guy or that guy. But the fact that it's week 12, week yeah, week 12, and the Pats are not necessarily fully in it, but they're still locked in and playing hard and Belichick is not losing the locker room as he pushes towards 70, I do think – that is something to be happy about. It's the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. We come back. Who's saying what? That's next. Ken Squire here. I've been thinking a lot about heritage at WDEV. And yes, there's a lot to be proud of in those 89 years that we've been on the air. But our focus now is on the next 89. And that's where you come in. We need your support to continue bringing the people-driven radio that you've come to rely on and enjoy. Lee Cattell, Rick Sangieri, Roger Hill, Kyle Winchell, Bill Zare, and new people Brady Farkas, Greg Hooker, John Wilson. That's not all. There's also Dex Rowe, Joel Nashman, and Jack Donovan on the weekends. News, talk, music, Weather, community events, jazz, sports, it's quite the variety, and it's quite the staff, and we wouldn't have it any other way. Go to WDEVradio.com and click support. Thank you. Dell Technologies has announced their Cyber Monday sale. They're releasing new doorbusters every weekday, plus up to 50% off cutting-edge tech for your business. There's no better time to upgrade your small business with the latest laptops and desktops with Intel Core processors, plus there's free shipping on everything. Yes, everything. Give Dell Technologies advisors a call. They'll identify the right tech solution for your business. Call 877-ASK-DELL or go to dell.com slash Monday. That's 877-ASK-DELL. Let's be real. Mopping is a hassle. You have to fill the bucket. Pushing a wet, heavy mop around. Then cleaning the mop when you're done so it doesn't grow bacteria. A hassle on top of a hassle. Try Swiffer WetJet. With Swiffer WetJet, you start with a fresh pad and cleaning solution every time. And when you're done, you just toss the pad. Swiffer WetJet. The faster, easier, cleaner way to clean your floors. Being informed has never been more important. WDEV News Radio is your complete source for breaking news. You're listening to WDEV FM and AM. The governor's and we're press take you conferences. Straight to the state response to a COVID-19 press conference. As we continue to move in the right direction, we'll be able to further reopen our economy and try to get back some of what life was like before. And updates from our congressional delegation. I've been in meetings, both public and, and many private, with. Uh, every president that, 
since I've been there, Republicans or Democrats, when there's been crises like this? We have a pandemic, and that's the reason why we have rules now in the House that allow for the casting of the vote remotely. As well as providing you with local community resources on our website at WDEVradio.com. Our daily talk shows explore in-depth topics important to you. Relevant, topical information and resources at WDEV-FM and AM. Online at WDEVradio.com. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What did he say? The passing game was atrocious today. This passing game is in big-time trouble. They really said that? The Patriots, they're an average offense. If you cannot be explosive on offense, you cannot hang in the NFL. It's time for Who's Saying What on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV-AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. All right, final segment on the Monday, Brady Farkas Show, WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. Remember, full show podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and WDEVradio.com. If you ever miss any of the show or any of our exclusive interviews, we've already got our interview with Field Yates up and my exclusive podcast-only interview with Ed Smith, former NFL tight end and current Arizona Cardinals analyst and podcast host. What they're saying today, Dan Orlovsky, former NFL quarterback, currently works at ESPN, talking about the Denver Broncos quarterback situation. So if you missed this, all four quarterbacks out because of COVID protocol. Broncos had to bring up a practice squad wide receiver to play quarterback. He went one for nine for 13 yards, and the Broncos got blown out 31-3. to Orlovsky has no sympathy for the Broncos. The Broncos quarterbacks. This one bothers me so much, Z, because – you know, as a young backup quarterback, you pray to God for the opportunity to get, in the field, get on the field in the NFL. Because a lot of times for backup quarterbacks, it's about, you know, catching a lucky break. Like, you just get the opportunity to get on the field. And you don't have any idea what one game can do for your career. So he's bothered by the fact that all of the quarterbacks. So here's what happened. Jeff Driscoll is the backup for the Broncos. He tests positive for COVID. Drew Locke, who's the usual starter. Blake Bortles, who's there as well. And uh, the, the fourth one, whose name now, who, I, who I'm forgetting at the moment. But they're all in the facility not wearing masks. So these guys who know what's at stake here and know that at any one time any of them could go down with COVID, none of them wore masks, and ultimately the NFL punishes them and says that none of them can play. He's mad at them on a quarterback level and saying that, hey, I was a backup. I would have given anything to have a chance, and you guys squandered yours. That's fine. That's his experience. I also don't feel bad for the Broncos. It stinks that they had to play a game without a true quarterback. It stinks that they really had a game taken from them, essentially, by the league who made them play, and they get blown out 31-3. to But that said, this is, a self-inflicted, this is a self-inflicted wound. The Broncos knew what the NFL protocol was. The NFL protocol is, if you are indoors, you need to wear a mask. If you are anywhere other than the field, you need to wear a mask. The Broncos knew the rules. Head coach Vic Fangio knew the rules. Offensive coordinator Pat Shermer knew the rules. The quarterbacks themselves knew the rules. There's got to be some sense of accountability here. I'm sorry, mainly for Kendall Hinton, that he had to come off the practice squad and go one for nine on regional television and become mocked in some circles and become a footnote trivia answer at bar trivia for years to come when everything is normal again. I feel bad for him. But for the Broncos, you know the rules. And you know what? Nobody in the world likes wearing a mask. Nobody likes the time that we're in right now. But the rules are the rules. And if you don't follow the rules, there are consequences. The NFL has said specifically, 
wear a mask at all times when not in the field. When not playing, wear a mask. Guys on the sidelines of games are wearing masks. You couldn't be bothered to do it in the facility? That's on you, bro. That's not on me. And if I'm the teammates of these quarterbacks, I'm pretty darn annoyed too. I'm annoyed at them for not following the rules. Not one person enjoys this time that we're in right now. But those and your employer can levy rules against you. And your employer is the NFL. The NFL says these are the rules you got to follow. And guess what? You can smoke weed in Vermont. I can't smoke weed and come to work. My employer says no. I can drink beer in Vermont. My employer says, hey, you know what, Brady? You better wait till after your shift to have a beer tonight. You can't have one and then come in here. That You're subject to the rules of your employer. Broncos, they broke them. I, I feel bad for Kendall Hinton that he was put in a position to be embarrassed. I feel bad for the players on the team who follow the rules correctly. I don't feel bad for the Broncos, the organization. They broke the rules. They knew the protocol. There should have been accountability, and there wasn't. Brady Farkas show right here on WDEV AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. Let's get to closing thoughts. Closing thoughts. Closing time. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. A lot of talk this weekend about Kendall Hinton, about that Broncos quarterback who had to come off the practice squad with no reps after playing college football quarterback at Wake Forest like four years ago. It was the last time he played quarterback, and now he's a wide receiver. A lot made about him doing something different. He deserves an immense amount of respect because it's an incredibly courageous thing that he did. Stepping up for the team, putting himself in a position to be ridiculed, to fail, to be embarrassed, to get hurt. He's never played, to my knowledge, an NFL game at all in any position. And now you're going to ask him to go out there and play against the New Orleans Saints, the number one seed in the NFC. He could have been hurt, made fun of, embarrassed, all of it. And he put himself out there for the betterment of the team. He deserves an immense amount of respect because that's courageous. If you're giving him respect, which you should be, you should also be giving respect to Sarah Fuller, the Vanderbilt kicker. A lot of people are out there now saying that Sarah Fuller, who became the first woman to play Power 5 college football game, Power 5 conference college football game, is the kicker for Vanderbilt on Saturday. A lot of people saying it was a publicity stunt, that Vanderbilt was 0-7, and it was an opportunity to get some good faith for the program. The coach might be about to get fired. It's a chance for him to bring some attention to the program. You know what? I don't care what Vanderbilt's motives were. If Vanderbilt football wanted it to be a publicity stunt, then so be it. I really don't care what their motive was. What I care about is that Sarah Fuller, who is a female, who hasn't kicked a football ever until like four days ago, she also exhibited tremendous courage. She put herself in a position to be berated, made fun of, talked down to, belittled, subjected to all the sexist talk on social media. She, she, put, she put herself out there to deal with all of it. I hope Vanderbilt's intentions were pure. And a lot of people who know what they're talking about say that they were. They truly just needed a kicker. They don't have a men's soccer team. Everyone else on campus is home for break. That's, that's who was left. Women's soccer, that was it. So I hope that that's true. But regardless, 
Sarah Fuller, like Kendall Hinton, deserves your respect. They took something that is not their specialty. They went out there. They did it. And it put themselves in a position to be embarrassed, to be hurt, to be made fun of. And a lot of people don't take those chances. I can tell you this. I've been in radio for seven years. I've been doing radio for seven years, five of it really full-time. Okay? I know my way around these buttons and around the microphone. I have only ever done sports. I've been doing news here for two months, and that has been an adjustment. It's the same discipline, the same set of buttons, and a slightly different format, and it's taken me two months to get what I hope is good at it. Kendall Hinton, Sarah Fuller, doing things that are completely different, and they had 24 hours in Hinton's case, and like three days in Fuller's case, to go and be proficient at it and do it for the entire country to see and for all of social media to mock them. Hinton deserves immense amount of praise. Sarah Fuller does too. Pat McAfee, former NFL punter, by the way, he said you can shove your Sarah Fuller stinks takes because she actually did a pretty good job. I gave her a shout-out. I said, hey, listen, uh, didn't kick the ball out of bounds, okay, which I have done. And a lot of other kickers have done. Um, you didn't give up a touchdown, which I have done, and a lot of other kickers have done. Uh, you set up your D. They were at the 35-yard line, but you didn't give them a, a, a short field behind you. It seems like this was a job well done. Job well done. She kicked it 30-plus yards or whatever. I, I tell you what, I can't go out and kick a football 30 yards off a tee, anything. Some of you can. I can't. I certainly can't do it after never having done it before. She was able to. And she signed up for it, and she inspired a lot of people in the process. That was very cool. Kendall Hinton was very cool. I'm sorry that the result wasn't there for Hinton, but both of them deserve your respect, and both of them deserve your applause. Brady Farkas Show brought to you by the all-new Preston's Kia in Montpelier. Preston's Kia in Montpelier will do everything they can to earn and keep your business. Great people, their family-owned and operated home of lifetime oil changes and state inspections. Dinner Jazz with John Wilson. That is coming up next, and then it's ESPN Radio. I'll see you tomorrow, everybody. Brady Farkas right here on WDEV. Hi, this is Ed Reed. And this is Trish Reed. We are longtime residents of Faceton, Vermont, and owners of Mad River Property Management. When Central Vermont Home Health and Hospice asked if we would serve as honorary chairs of the Fall 2020 Appeal, Trish and I eagerly agreed. In a year that tested our collective resolve, it is reassuring to know that there is an organization that is fully dedicated to the care and well-being of the Central Vermont community. We are so impressed by CV 